to the Benito Juarez experience. This is Luciano Joshua Gonzalez. And Julian Navarro Rivera. And in today's episode, we're going to be taking some time to talk about reproductive rights in Latin America, how people are abdicating for reproductive rights, which are not just abortion, but rather a whole range of rights that are form a base known as reproductive justice to some, which extends beyond just abortion, also to include access to Plan B pills, uh, emergency contraception, access to materials that can access to accurate information concerning sex, sexuality, and reproduction. Also, the ability to make informed choices, laws which protect women who are victims of things like sexual harassment, sexual assault, and also just the ability to talk about these things freely, openly, and without facing stigma. Excellent. So where do you want to start? So I want to start off by pointing out, as some people have, as some articles online have pointed out, that there are about eight, there's either eight or seven major countries where reproduction and abortion are regulated super strictly. Six of those countries are in Latin America. So the six countries where uh, abortion is banned under all circumstances as of the middle of 2017 are the Dominican Republic, El Salvador, Haiti, Honduras, Caragua, and Suriname. There are two other countries outside of Latin America where this is the case. Those countries are Malta and the Vatican, which should be extremely unsurprising to anyone, but it's important that people not lump anti-abortion sentiment exclusively with Catholics because Pew Research Forum actually found that in Latin America, as a general trend, there are more Protestants who are against legalizing and regulating abortion than there are Catholics. So there's reasons to believe that these things are starting to change. But there's also the fact that until August of 2017, Chile had abortion completely banned as well. So conversations are happening in Latin America that show that these things are changing. It's not a fast change. It's a very gradual change. But we need to realize that just because things seem bad in some countries right now does not mean that these things are going to stay this way forever. And that by being active, by being loud, and by working together, we can change this. But we need to talk about it first, which is one of the things that people aren't doing in the United States. In the United States, people are largely preoccupied with legalizing and regulating abortion here, not elsewhere, which is problematic because these events affect people, including people in the United States. Women flee countries like Honduras, Nicaragua, El Salvador, the Dominican Republic, and all of these other countries partially because of stuff like this. This is one of the motivating factors that causes people to realize that if they stay in these countries, their lives aren't going to get any better. So a few things there, because I mean, that's a lot to unpack there. And, and I think I wanna, so I wanna 
say one thing about you know what you mentioned about the Pew study. I actually have that Pew study actually pulled out right now. Uh, and even though, yes, like attitudes about, and these are questions about morality, uh, about um, the morality or abortion are stronger among, or the lack of the immorality of abortion, uh, are stronger among Protestants in Latin America. The, the difference is, is, is on intensity rather than, than like, really qualitative like you know most people whether they're protestant or catholics consider that uh abortion is a moral wrong uh in all countries i think with one exception it's uruguay in which catholics only have say it's morally wrong and that's the most liberal country uh and they're protestants are 68% who say it's morally wrong. Uh, that's also the most liberal cohort of Protestants in Latin America. And so I think there, that, that there's that element in there, which there's the, there's that whole Catholic culture, or at least, you know, those, those kind of teachings of the Catholic Church in there. But also, I think, which it's something we mentioned in the episode with it, uh, last week, uh, uh, on the resolutions, we, you, we were mentioning at some point the, the episode, you know, talking about guests and we were talking about Arlene Sanchez Walsh, uh, the professor at Azusa Pacific University who, uh, was one of the, our earlier guests. And we were talking about, uh, Pentecostal identity among Latinos. And particularly one aspect of that conversation was these traveling, like, back and forth uh, loop between Protestants in the United States and Protestants in Latin America, particularly Pentecostals. And so that, when I, I mentioned this, because when you talk about the, uh, you know, the issues in the United States, I think there's two elements of that. One is, sure, people in the United States should care about those issues. Uh, although, if I don't know if you remember who the president of the United States is right now, uh, and what are, who are the people in Congress and controlling like two thirds of states at this moment, uh, and have an actual majority in the Supreme Court. Thank you very much, Mitch McConnell. And, and so, you know, there's a real danger right now in the United States that a lot of gains of the last half century, not just on reproductive rights, but also on civil rights are actually going to be rolled back. Uh, with that said, in terms of Latin America and reproductive rights, I don't think we, we cannot talk I'm using too many negatives in there. Uh, about the role of United, the United States, not necessarily the department, the state department and the official channels of the United States, but certainly missionary work in the United States in which usually is conducted 
by some of the most conservative religious elements of the country going abroad. And by that I mean is that it's not only, uh, you know, it's Pentecostal missionaries, Mormon missionaries, uh, that go to Latin America with these very distinct ideas about, you know, the beginning of life and whatnot. That's also being a problem in many African countries where like a lot of American missionaries who are ultra conservative go there and, and kind of like plant the seeds or impose a lot of these, uh, kind of like cultural norms, uh, that are unique to the most extreme brand of American Protestantism. And that have made it policy in the United States because, you know, the, the, uh, Mexico City policy, as they call it, uh, about funding, uh, abortion, and I believe it's more into reproductive issues, uh, Using government, foreign aid to, fo- to, to fund, uh, abortion and, and, and other reproductive issues, uh, abroad, it's, it's, has been like, you know, rescinded every time a, a Democrat is in power, uh, reintroduced when a Republican is in power, uh, or ignored and, and, it, uh, implemented, uh, I think it's more of a te- technical term. Uh, so I think th- those are the two things I wanted to mention about that. One is that there is a, you know, the, the, the difference between Catholics and Protestants in Latin America in terms of, of their attitudes toward abortion are not that different. Uh, it's just a matter of degree and that American policy and Americans as missionaries have actually done a lot of damage uh, to women in in Latin America. Both of those things are definitely true, but one of the things that people need to realize, specifically within this debate, is that one of the ways that people have actually had minor successes in uh, arguing for advancing reproductive rights and the legalization of abortion in many countries, in not many countries like as a specific term, but as a general sense, is that one of the things that people who want to argue for abortion can do is they can begin to decouple it from morality. They can instead talk about it in terms of both separation of church and state, which numerous articles have pointed out that many people who abdicate for advancing reproductive rights in Latin America are also supporters of separation of church and state, although they don't often couple those positions together, but they do work to decouple abortion from morality. And also they talk about things like personal freedom and the ability of women to participate in democracy, including their ability to make informed choices and actually have those choices respected by the government about what to do with their own body when they want to become mothers, when they want to start families. Like there, there are things that have had successes, at least in limited, oftentimes personal contexts. But organizations that fight in Latin America for abortion rights typically do so while also working to separate the issue from morality because 
changing someone's mind about how moral something is is a lot more complex than changing the law. And oftentimes changing the law is a hard enough battle as it is. People don't need to change minds. They just need to change laws. And generally, people want to do those things at the same time. And I'm sure that if these groups could come up with a strategy that worked reliably, they would to do both of those things at the same time. But the groups that have had successes, the groups that have worked in places like Chile, where it got de, where it got decriminalized very recently, like our podcast is older than the legislation Chile that got abortion decriminalized. And that's insane to me because I actually hadn't realized the extent to which in Chile abortion was criminalized. I was doing research for this episode and I found out that it was actually that certain types of abortion, what has been dubbed therapeutic abortion, has actually been legalized in Chile from 1931 to 1989. And then it was criminalized. And then last year it was decriminalized. And that's crazy to me because it shows that progress is often fragile. And that's one of the reasons why I think it's important that we talk about it in today's episode, because if we don't have these sorts of conversations, people will not realize how bad things are. And they also won't realize the successes that have actually happened in both living memory and in longer, longer memory that we've had to fight for. Okay, that's fair enough. Uh, but I also, so I think that is, uh, an issue that it's probably, and I'm going to use, you know, public opinion on Latinos on, on this, which is like probably the closest proxy you could act fully fine uh without getting into like trying to find like a giant ball in Latin America uh that is not pews uh in a few seconds uh b but that it's something I'm very familiar with and 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 to a large extent many Latinos have done that I think that that element of decoupling morality from Legality has been, particularly in the United States, very successful in terms of same-sex marriage, uh, in which, uh, the matter of, you know, the sinfulness of same-sex relationships, uh, is decoupled from the civil rights matter of whether people should Two consenting adults should have the right to get married. And I think that that has been an area in which it's an example in which, particularly in the United States, has been quite successful. Uh, which is why, uh, and I remember being in a, in a, <laughs> being the mediator in, in a, in, in, in a debate in a party <laughs> about whether like the culture had actually changed regarding gay people in the United States. Uh, and a gay friend saying that, no, that, you know, they were still, you know, discriminated. And another friend saying, oh, no, no, it's better now. And it was like, who is not gay? Uh, and I think those two were not mutually exclusive. I think on, on legal terms, and of course, this is like before 2016. 
So on legal terms, things had certainly gotten better. I think culturally were some better acceptance of LGBT people in the abstract, but still people thought, you know, they were like sinners and particularly among religious people uh, and in, in very conservative religions, that has happened. Uh, with that said, I think that goes back to my previous point of who is doing the proselytizing. And by that I mean is that if there's a segment of the American population whose minds have not changed in terms of both the legality and the morality of same-sex marriage has been evangelical Christians, particularly the white type, which are the types who end up, uh, you know, as missionaries, like telling everybody the, 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 the great word of God that, you know, if you don't join us, you're going to burn in hell forever. Uh, and so I think those are the kind of minds that are very hard to change. And it's not surprising to me that in a place like Chile, which is overwhelmingly Catholic and has not as much a Protestant presence, uh, than like Central American countries, for example, uh, has made those kind of strides more recently. That's definitely true. So one of the things that people should know when we're talking about this and we're talking about it in the abstract is that while we're talking about it in the abstract for a variety of reasons, not only because we don't live in Latin America, but also because, you know, men, like, there are things that people can think about that aren't abstract. One of the big things that people can think about that's not abstract is that globally, 17.1 million unsafe abortions happen each year. And the three major regions in which these happen are Africa, Asia, and Latin America. And that's according to a report published in The Lancet. Probably mispronounced that. But part of that is because of the six countries that we were talking about earlier. One of them is a country that we've talked about extensively, Honduras. But all of these countries contribute significantly to this. All of these countries contribute thousands of unsafe abortions. And those are only the ones that we know about. Because the reality is there are lots of unsafe abortions that we don't get to know about each year. It's difficult to come up with comprehensive numbers. For something like this. And if we know of 17.1 million unsafe abortions worldwide, that's a lot. But it's probably only the tip of the iceberg. Even if it's over half of the total number of abortion, of unsafe abortions which happen each year, it's extremely worrying, especially because there are things that we can do that would change this. We can fight and we can use international pressure to make it so that Latin America and specifically those countries that we talked about earlier have access to safer abortions and begin to legalize abortion. But also even in El Salvador, there are cases where internet, where the international community can cause real life-saving impacts. One example of which is that in 2014, there was a woman who in El Salvador needed an abortion to save her life. And she was apparently, at least according to some of the news sources I was able to find, able to get one because the Inter-American Commission of Justice, Inter-American Court of Justice, 
went and they fought for her. They went and they talked to Salvadorian authorities. They went in and they challenged the doctors and they were able to make it so that she was able to get safety. And in 2016, Sweden offered political asylum to a Salvadorian woman who was sentenced to 40 years in prison. And part of the reason this woman was sentenced to 40 years in prison isn't just because abortion's illegal in El Salvador, but because what happened to her happens to many women. Instead of just being charged for the illegalness of having an abortion, she, she didn't have an abortion. She had a miscarriage. But she wasn't charged with having an abortion. She was charged with have with having committed an aggravated homicide. And that's something that happens to many women in El Salvador who are found to have miscarriages. It's said that they induce the miscarriages and they're charged with higher sentences and higher charges than they should be, which is part of the danger of criminalizing abortion. Because oftentimes, if you criminalize abortion, you're not going to be charging the people who have abortion with abortion. You're going to be charging them with something else. And you're going to be using the abortion topic and the miscarriage topic as your cover in order to jail people who did things that you don't like or who you believe did things that you don't like. Yeah. So. I think that I think that's absolutely right that there's there's this whole element you know that it's not just the fact that it's not legal it's just also the fact that this is a question that I mean going back to our American context uh I remember my friend Mark Silk blogging about this issue in particular once uh Asking a rhetorical question to evangelicals uh, again, uh, or actually I think was a pro-life activist in general, uh, about whether what they thought was going to happen after Roe, because one of the things uh, after Roe becomes, uh, overturned. And this is really interesting because for example, uh, which is probably the only policy question that Donald Trump ever answered in a debate was that, oh, it doesn't matter, it goes back to the states, which is technically true. Uh, but that means that you're going to have like 50 different policies, uh, which are going to be lumped into two very big groups, right? Blue state policies and red state policies, essentially. Uh, but... Banning a practice and then like, what are the penalties that you're going to do? Are, are you going to be penalizing the doctors? What are you going to be charging the women, uh, with? Uh, and of course, as we know, it's probably going to, uh, with the temples in other countries, it's probably going to be murder, uh, of a child, uh, is going to be some, some sort of infanticide or, or, uh, kind of, you know, definitely some level of murder charge. And, and this is something that is not very talked about. Not here in our legal context, in our public debates about abortion, but certainly not about how this is quite common in 
many other countries and how dangerous it is. Uh, I think one thing I, I wanted to go back to what I was talking before these, uh, uh, segment was, uh, that I forgot to say, uh, harking back, harking back a little bit, uh, that when I was talking about the difference between like big Protestant populations in countries in Latin America and big Catholic populations, there's a big difference also too, to the extent that the Catholic Church, even if they are not, uh, this is a, a lot of policy making has less to do with the will of a population in a Catholic majority country than the will of the bishops who are actually the ones who are very good at lobbying or at influencing legislation. And this is why in, even in countries that don't necessarily have a large Protestant voting bloc, a lot of these policies exist. Uh, and it's because of the power of bishops. I think that's something that more and more people need to realize. And it's something that we talked about in our episodes on Honduras. I remember that I talked about uh, Oscar Mondragon. And that was the that was the Honduran bishop who actually got in a lot of heat for the last over the last couple of weeks because of what's going on with the Honduran elections. So prior to the Honduran constitutional crisis back in 2009, he went on the record and said that anyone who gets an abortion is like automatically excommunicated. I can't remember if he said anyone who gets an abortion or anyone who like performs one. It might have been anyone who performs an abortion. But he went on the record and he also said that politicians who support abortion rights are automatically excommunicated. So this is something that people need to realize. Like these threats, these statements have real pressure and it doesn't really matter to an ex, like there's an extent which doesn't matter what the Catholic populations themselves think because they aren't the people who have the power to excommunicate someone. They aren't the people who have the power to make those wide sweeping declarations and levy the church against a government or a governmental official. And that in Latin America has real weight, but also it's not just them. In Latin America, evangelical groups, as we've talked about before, and Protestant groups also have real power. They have the power to affect social change. And oftentimes they manifest this power very clumsily. They use it, they also use it, or they try to use it a lot, and they use it incorrectly. But when they use it against people who are supportive of abortion rights, it has real impact. Politicians feel that weight. They read the comments that people make about them on social media. And fortunately, many Latin American governments don't have the same type of elections that the United States does, wherein there are elections, there's separate types of elections for separate um, branches of government. But if there were, I can guarantee you any politician in, especially in Central America, who is supportive of abortion rights probably wouldn't do very well in their midterm elections. Yeah. So I am going to propose an idea. We are reaching 28 minutes of time. So I think we should do a two-parter, close this episode 
on abortion and move on next week uh, with an episode on other aspects of reproductive justice, because I think uh, I don't want to be redundant, but we're not giving it justice by just talking nearly half an hour on abortion policy and attitudes. I think that's a good idea, especially because I was not, I wasn't feeling like I was feeling this episode in the beginning, but then like my internet temporarily went down and my computers, like all of my web pages had to reload. Just part of the reason why I had to like wait a second to try and find one of my sources, figure out where exactly it was, the list of countries. It's not a fan of that. I'm surprised that like the recording kept on working, but most of my other tabs spontaneously like reset themselves and i was like oh great fun so yeah i'm totally down for us to close out the episode now and in that case okay. we'll go ahead and ask my questions which are what did you guys know about abortion policy in latin america you know of specific countries where abortion is legalized within limits and do you know if there are any countries where abortion is fairly unregulated? If you can think of any, be sure to let us know by commenting this episode. And for next week's episode, what specific aspects of reproductive policy generally around abortion expanded upon in a future episode? And also, would you like for us to talk about the instances the contexts in which Chile legalized abortion after having it be criminalized for so long. Okay, my I think I just have one question, and it's mostly related on uh, how much you know about the you know the role of of um, American institutions, whether they are governmental or religious uh, or religiously affiliated because sometimes it's not official churches but certainly affiliated organizations uh, have impacted reproductive policy not just in the United States but actually uh, overseas especially in Latin America and Africa All right, you guys. Well, this has been another episode of the Aquatus Experience. If you enjoyed the episode, if you wanted to help us boost ourselves on social media, be sure to follow us on Twitter, like our Facebook page, subscribe to our YouTube channel, which is a thing that we have. People should absolutely check it out. The link will be in this podcast episode's description. And as always, be sure to follow us on iTunes to the podcast and leave a review. This is Luciano Joshua Gonzalez. And you am Navarro Rivera. Until next time. <laughs>